Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The games of the 32nd Olympiad in 2020 are awarded to the city of Tokyo. Japan, Canada, Great Britain, Chile. There's some range. Oh, China, Brazil, Zambia, the Netherlands. Sweden, USA, Australia, New Zealand. <laughs> Welcome to the Offside Rule Olympics edition as we explore the final ramifications in today's group matches in Tokyo. I'm Lindsay Hooper. Coming up, Sweden rack up three from three. USA go AWOL again. Miedemar and co run riot, whilst GB look a little weary. Plus, Canada, Brazil, Australia and Japan stay on the Olympic train. My esteemed panel today are former Matilda Alicia Ferguson. Good to have you back on, Alicia. Thanks for having me again, Linz. And women's football reporter as well, Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Hi, Flo. Hi. I feel like it's kind of embarrassing when I get introduced after a former (laughs) athlete. It's kind of like, here's the former pro being to Olympic Games and here's this other random woman who has opinions that aren't based on any actual experience. But there you go. I'm with you on that one. I'm (laughs) feeling that too. But Alicia can guide us through is what I'm thinking. Um, Now, audio... Audio issues aside, note to Eurosport to sort that out as we enter the knockout stages. There's been boxing audio, run commentaries, my timeline as well, full of responses, not to mention the newly named leading goal scorer, Abby Miedemar, and Team GB's top scorer, Ellie White. If you know, you know. Uh, in fact, the point being that you really need to know. I think that's the point. Mini rant over. Uh, back to the action. And what were the standout results for both of you? Alicia... Was it Australia holding the world champions to a goalless war draw? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, funnily enough, and exactly for that reason. Uh, definitely just seeing the Orange Army march on and scoring goals for fun. That was definitely the result of the round for me. And Flo, what's that for you? I think what stood out for me was um, Lotte Webber Moy's beautiful drawing of the stadium that Chinji Bieber in tonight in Kashima, and um, that's probably the highlight of the afternoon for me. <laughs> you do realise this is an audio show, don't you? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, check out her Instagram, and then you can get. She's been doing some little very nice line drawings throughout the competition. She's not played a minute, I don't think yet, but she's obviously having a good time in other ways. So yeah, I've been enjoying her updates multi-talented well group e is where we begin our round you're listening to the offside rule olympics edition grab yourself an athletic subscription for 33 percent off by heading to theathletic.com forward slash offside a great counter-attacking move resulted in an unmarked Adriana Leon guiding her left-footed shot into the roof of the net past Ellie Roebuck on 55 minutes. Half an hour later, Caroline Weir scored for Team GB from 35 yards out, having earlier had an effort strike the underside of the crossbar and then go off the post. The Scotland International's first goal of the tournament levelled things at one all. I guess for both of you, we start with the fact that Team GB was slow out the blocks today. There were a few changes. Was that to be expected, Alicia? Um, yes and no. Look, I think they were always pretty comfortable. I don't think necessarily the changes had too much impact on it. I think just, um, you know, third game in a tournament, both teams are in a reasonably comfortable position going forward. So maybe complacency, I'm not too sure. You know, there wasn't a lot on the line for these two games, for these two teams. So. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot going on, was there? It's really difficult to to actually pick out too many highlights. It kind of just was one of those games, you know? It it happened. It happened. Um, There wasn't, like, any huge standout performances. I definitely think towards the end of the match, you know, bringing on the likes of the Kim Littles, um, who else came on uh, later? Ellen White, Ellie White, yeah, our favourite Ellie White. Um, (laughs) You know, although there's definitely made it and sharpened things up for GB, but um, they got the job done. They got another point and through to the next round. I think that's the main thing of concern, you know, keeping your squad fit and healthy for this third game, 
and making sure you secure qualification to the next round. So Ellen White didn't start, but neither did Christine Sinclair today, Flo. So up front, was it always going to be a bit more toothless in attack? Yeah, I would say the biggest concern for Team GB is the fact that they still don't quite know what they're doing. Um, I think there's been too many changes. I think going into a game against Australia, I I would like to think that Hegarisa had a better idea of who her best 11 is, how she wants to play. And um, and I, I still feel like there's a lot of confusion. I still feel like she's working it out. I felt that when she t- t- took control of England in that interim period and played those friendlies, there were just so many changes with every single game that they played. And we're seeing that again now. And I, although, yeah, you want to give everyone minutes and, and it's it's very much about the depth of your squad in, the, in this competition, just feels, it still feels a little bit confusing to still have played is playing in so many different positions on the pitch. We've had Rachel Daly at left back, then she played on the right side of midfield on Saturday, and then she played more up front in what would be her preferred position today. And it felt like, right, okay, so going forward, Daly didn't have the best game today, but what does that mean for the next match? Paris playing down the middle, somewhere we haven't seen her a lot for England, but she has played there for Lyon. So it just feels like Riza is still working that out, and that doesn't I think fill me fill me with a ton of confidence. I think it's great that Little and White could come on and, and influence the game a bit. I thought Weir was phenomenal and deserved her two goals and, and got her goal in the end, but just still lacking a little bit. I think the conditions played a big part. It was hot, it was humid, and both teams looked tired and sluggish. But yeah, like Alicia said, it never quite got going. Just to jump in on that flow, just as from a player's perspective on that, I actually think... I'm going to slightly disagree with you there, just because and I understand like it does seem like it messes with the rhythm of changing players. But like I said, actually really important to have a strong rotation and depth in your squad to be able to do that. And I think in this game, and I know probably previously in Hegarisa was trying to work it out, I think I'm, I'm pretty confident in her head she's going to, and we all know what her starting lineup is going to be against Australia on Friday. I think this lineup today... And again, exactly what you said, Lindsay, no Ellen White, no Christine Sinclair. This was a game where both teams could get other players' minutes and the result wouldn't make a huge difference to the outcome of them qualifying for the quarterfinals. And I think that's the key thing, keeping your players fresh, keeping them healthy, and also allowing the rest of your squad to really feel part of the tournament and feel part of the team. Um, Because uh, keeping the whole squad happy and involved is crucial to actually success going further and deeper into the tournament. In a way, it feels like Canada and Team GB would have been happier with a nil-nil draw than a 1-1 draw. And as much as it was great to see Caroline Weir eventually get her goal, and it was a great counter-attacking move from Canada as well, it was actually the defence that I felt that maybe would have bred a bit more confidence going into the next matches for both of these teams because they are they're both going up against quite attacking minded sides we know what what team gb will up against, be up against with sam kerr and and likewise for canada uh, they're going to face a lot of threats going forward um with brazil so what what mm. did you think about the defences? I know that you and I, Alicia, we spoke about no Steph Horton. That didn't happen. But, you know, when she's been on the pitch, they haven't conceded, but they did today. Although I still stand by the fact that I think Leah Williamson has been one of the best players the last two matches. Yeah, sure. And I agree with you there, Linz. I just think also, just, um, you know, as a player, so you can't get to this heightened level of... Um, top performance for every single match it's very it's exhausting so you think of all the conditions the physical conditions but also the mental conditions so again I mentioned the word complacency I think that's a bit too harsh but when you go into matches where you have secured qualification you can take your foot off the pedal physically and emotionally and mentally because now you're going into a knockout stage and everyone needs to be right at that heightened level of being switched on. And so I think that's what, and I don't want to overanalyze this game, because I think when I watched it, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not surprised that this is the way this game's going today for both teams. Um, So I I definitely think we're going to see a completely different, you know, I think the game against Australia on Fridays is going to, the intensity is going to be, you know, absolutely doubled compared to what we saw today. Mm. And Flo, Ellie Roebuck, a quick word on her. There were a couple of poor clearances. Is that something to be mindful of? Millie Bright definitely stepped in and tied it up today, but on uh, against other opposition, she could be punished. 
Yeah, I don't know what it is about playing Canada and, and goalkeeping errors for, for England goalkeepers. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't the best from Ellie Robot today. I don't. It's, it's weird because I know Alicia was saying this this game almost felt like a dead dead rubber in some ways, especially for GB. But it almost was. There was a nervousness at times from the GB defence and from Roebuck, and I don't I don't know if it's the the conditions more than anything because it was really tough for them, and you could see physically after ten minutes both teams were just gone. Um, and I can't imagine what it must like to, must be like to play in that sort of environment. But yeah, it was it was really sort of a nervous energy which we haven't really seen from the that yet like there were a lot of sloppy mistakes in that first half Stanway Stokes uh, Robot gave the ball away a lot um, Jill Scott and, had a couple of clumsy challenges as well that yeah it was, it was weird because for, yeah. for when you, you know when you're going into that with the confidence of knowing you're already through um, I wonder why they they kind of lacked the the, the, the focus a little bit you know what? It's exactly what we said, though, Flo. I think, yeah, definitely the conditions, third game, heavy conditions. When when you're not completely switched on, you know, you do and then everyone starts to make these little mistakes and it's like, oh, right, come on, we've got to pull ourselves back here. So I think it's a combination of all those things. I think, yeah, definitely the conditions. But, I, again, a mindset where, okay, you you go out to these games and you do just think, all right, we got through, we can do this, we just need to put in a performance. And then before you know it, you're making silly mistakes and you're getting really annoyed and things look terrible and then you're like, oh, God, right, pull yourself out of it. <laughs> right, let's like get ourselves back in the game and start improving. And and sometimes it's easier to do that, sometimes it's more difficult. And definitely, like I I – played football last night I don't know how I played 90 minutes in some of these conditions you know we were playing in 35 40 degree heat for our W league in Australia at 12 o'clock in Perth it's horrible and your legs feel like you have boots full of cement and your feet burn and your lungs burn and it's oppressive and it's a really difficult and especially coming from Europe and where they've come from and going over to these conditions it saps your energy. It really, really does. So um, I kind of think, you know, it's like a sum of all parts. That, I think that answers, it answers a question that's been put out in social media quite a few times, which is why are these substitutions happening so early, some after 30 minutes? Mm. I think there is your answer in hearing what you just had to say. Canada head coach Bev Priestman said after the match, we've gone undefeated and you can't scoff at that in an Olympics. We've grown through the group stage. We're facing probably a very familiar opponent in Brazil. I can confirm they are. Uh, we rested some legs and we're ready to go. Let's turn our attention then to these next matches. So as Group E winners, Team GB, they face third place from Group G, which is your very own Australia, Alicia. It's Friday morning at 10 a.m. What do you think the Aussies have got to do a bit differently against Team GB? Um, score goals. Um, hmm. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think, look, today they, they did okay. I don't think the USA are at their best at the moment. We could all agree on that, can't we? I think this is not the U a USA that we've seen win a World Cup only a couple of years ago. There's definitely some teething issues in that, and they just don't seem to be sparking. I think Australia, you know, playing a three at the back, they're definitely susceptible for balls in behind and balls into those wide areas. But what we need is to be more clinical in front of goal. You know, that was a turning point um, against Sweden when Sam missed that penalty. And, you know, she had another one-on-one -on -one after that. And that they're the things that are going to cost you in a big tournament, and that's what we need to rectify. Flo, I've got six nailed on starters with one having a question mark next to their name. Um, this is for Team GB on Friday. Uh, just from the matches that we've watched, it's got to be Kim Little, Caroline Weir, Ellen White, Lucy Bronze, Leah Williamson. And given the minutes that she got today, I think Frank Kirby alongside Ellen White would be fantastic. Those are my six at the minute that are nailed on. Have you got any more or would you like to change any of those? I'm not 100% sure about Fran Kirby yet. I did I did think it was great to see a, a bit of her today and and she she did sort of liven liven up the energy a little bit, but I don't know if it's sort of too soon to put her in this kind of situation. I think Lauren Hemp um and Kira Walsh probably will come back into the side, but I thought Kim Little was was brilliant today, so I definitely agree with that and Caroline Weir's just been so good in in every single game she's played. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens at the back and we've obviously talked about that a lot, but um I, I imagine Reese will probably revert back to back to a Steph Horton and Millie Bright center back partnership. And it's just all going to be about containing Sam Kerr. I mean in the past sort of 6 months or so, most 
teams who've faced Australia have done that fairly well, maybe bar um, Sweden on Saturday, who just couldn't contain Sam Kerr, especially when those balls were coming into the box. So it's going to be really interesting to see how bright, obviously, a Chelsea teammate manages that. And Horton, who, you know, without being super harsh, she has looked a little bit off the pace. And I think Sam Kerr is someone who is going to relish that opportunity to to take on a player like that. And, and maybe it would be safer to, to go with a, a Williamson-Bright duo. But I just don't think Reese is going to do that. Anything to add on that, Alicia, whether we should trust you or not, I'm not sure, given it's Team GB against Australia, but about the Team GB side? Uh, look, I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's an interesting one. I, I agree with you, Lindsay, about Leah Williamson's performance. I think the physicality of Millie Bright is probably why she would go with that partnering with Steph Horton. Steph needs to be there. She's a leader. Like you say, they haven't conceded when she plays. So I think that makes sense. Okay. Well, runners-up Canada face Brazil as well in the other quarterfinal after this group. And we've got more on that one with Tim Stillman later. On we go. Um, Host Japan had to go for it in their match against Chile if they were to secure one of the two third-place finishes up for grabs. Mana Iwabuchi was back in the starting eleven, and it was her cross that found Tanaka, who scored the only goal of the game. Chile had their moments. They even thought they'd scored the opener on the 69th minute. Alara Hedder not fully crossing the goal line. The narrow victory sees Japan through to the knockout stages. Uh, were either of you across these this match? Um, I've watched a little bit of it, but again, there wasn't a lot going on, was there? No, it felt at times, didn't it, that Chile were perhaps doing more damage limitation than anything? I think so. I think so. And also just like watching Japan play, I mean, they're typical, you know, they can dominate possession to a degree, but then actually in the final third and being clinical and actually being dangerous in front of goal, that's what they really struggle with. They always have struggled with that, um, which I think makes it a really difficult game for them against Sweden. I just can't see them. I can't see them beating Sweden. Sweden are excellent at the moment. Yeah, I think it's definitely clear that, that Mano Ibuchi's not at her best. I think she played today with some heavy strapping as well. We were talking last time about what was the reason behind her only getting 10 minutes in that Team GB game. And it seems that she is currently having an injury. She's not fully fit and... You know, we all spoke about before this tournament started about if Japan were going to do well, she was going to be a key part of that. And if she's not fully fit, then their hopes, I think, are pretty slim. And yeah, they they just don't create enough. I think the game today from Chile was probably more what I certainly expected to see from them because I think in their in the games against Canada and Team Team GB, they just lit. It offered so little going forward because they've always been fairly organised defensively. But we saw a bit more of that today, but it was kind of too little too late. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be um, tough for, for Japan to get through past Sweden. Yeah, Sweden, who've looked the the most outstanding side, haven't they, so far in the competition. Uh, Japan, they go through as the best third place finishers. Um, they face Sweden on Friday at 11am UK time. Well, that's Group E done and dusted. We'll turn our attention next to Group G, where lots was going on. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Offside Rule Olympics edition from The Athletic. Keep up to date with all our women's football content by following us at Offside Rule Pod and at The Athletic UK. Who knows, they do not want to repeat what happened in Rio in 2016. 
Into Group G then, and has anyone seen the USA? Anyone at all? They appear to be missing from this tournament. Uh, they showed up for Game 2, but we expected fireworks from the world champions uh, against Australia. They never got going. So here to try and put some words together, it's the athletic Steph Yang. You have written an article already because you, you must be able to punch out on that keyboard quicker than lightning, I tell you. And I read the word lacklustre uh, when you were describing Team USA's performance. Are you sticking by that now as we speak? Yes, yes. Even with uh, an extra 45 minutes to think watching Canada and GB, I think it still pretty much lacks any sparkle. What do, you, what do you put that down to? Because I've made a few notes watching USA against Australia in this one. And one of the first things I wrote down was a lot of players look below par again. Yes, I think so. I think it's a combination of, in the post-game press conference, Vlatko and Alex Morgan both pretty much implied like this was what they wanted. They wanted to come out and control Sam Kerr, the most dangerous player for Australia for good reason. They executed that part pretty well. I think Julie Ertz, you know, was up to the task. But the other half was they wanted to win. But I think they wanted to win in a sort of like, oh, if we get a goal, fine. But we don't want to get scored on way. I don't think they'll fully admit to that. But it, that's what it did feel like. In their defence, there was a, a moment where the ball was put in the back of the net. Alex Morgan with a really good header and it was marginally disallowed for offside. There was a VAR check for that. And it was very, very slight. It was literally a shoulder, not her, her whole shoulder, just like the edge of her shoulder. And I just was like, is this, you know, scientists were so busy asking whether or not they could. They didn't ask whether they should. <laughs> and that's how I felt about that VAR call. Um, I suppose the pace as well is something that people, as a neutral, I think, watching this game would have found it quite laborious at times, quite pedestrian. And that's not something that we're used to to watching with USA. Was that all part of the stop Kerr aim as well, do you think? I think it was. So they did come out in kind of a, a counterattacking formation, the 4-2-4, and they had the personnel to do so, but it seemed like they were also being told, don't go chasing don't go expending you know too much just to prove a point i think there's a lot of expectation with this team where after a thing like sweden everybody expects oh they're going to go a little bit nuts and they kind of did against new zealand lest we forget had it not been for the constant offside calls they would have been winning 10-1 i believe with four called back so yeah, I do think part of it was them kind of being tactical, but is there such a thing as being like overly tactical? Maybe. Possibly, yeah, possibly. I, I feel like creatively they were stifled today and movement off the ball wasn't brilliant at times. Uh, looking at the opposition, looking at Australia, I felt that Team USA really needed a player like Steph Catley, actually. I mean, her deliveries for Australia into those box um, from corners, free kicks, they were brilliant. And I, and I felt that was something that, that USA really lacked. I think they were missing someone who could deliver either the set-piece ball, although the United States didn't get the same set-piece chances due to some of their, um, shall we say, caution while playing. But also, if you're going to be in a counter-attacking setup, you could see that they would sometimes be looking for that direct big ball, trying to get you know four, maybe five, six players in at once, and it was just nothing doing. And so... What, what good is it to have six players approaching the box when the ball is going to go directly to an Australian? So delivery was a huge issue. You know, you look at the table and four points, superior goal difference as well for the USA over Australia means you go through as in that second place spot in the group. And I know that you wouldn't have expected to come second in the group, but given the opening defeat to Sweden, is this still a result? yes on paper i don't know how the <laughs> team <laughs> i i have to be cautious now um i feel like anything that i say that's more than cautious is just gonna send this team into the void because i'm not superstitious but i am a little bit stitious are any of the press starting to go for Vlatko a little bit. I mean, one of the players that you mentioned, I feel like the only player that's really played to her potential so far has been Julia Ertz. I thought she she makes a huge difference for the USA, but I'm not sure that, that any of the other players are quite at their pomp. I think maybe 
Rose Lavelle is somewhere in there, but she can't do it all on her own. And yeah, yeah maybe she's not at 100. She's like 90%, but that's a lot better than everyone else who looks at 50, 60%. Steph Yang of The Athletic there, and I'll bring Flo and Alicia back in, although Alicia is a little bit like the USA. She's missing too. Um, her audio is, but we've got some connection. It's just not as good quality as it was before. Shall we start by digesting this with possession stats, uh, our favourites? Alicia, I'm guessing in the time that you've either played against USA, watched them, been a pundit, been a presenter as you are nowadays, you wouldn't have seen many times uh, USA 35% possession. Such a low possession stat for them. Uh, yeah, it is. I guess on the flip side, I, I would prefer to give you know more credit to the Aussies. But I, I, yeah, let's. We have to be critical of the US. We we have such a high expectation of them, don't we? It just. I mean, they've got the players on the pitch, and I just don't know what's why it's not going why it's not working because it works so well in France and there's not been huge changes since France and I'm I just I'm trying to get my head around it and look at it really analytically but I haven't quite put my finger on it yet maybe it's just time for this generation of players and a lot of them that it's time for them to move on and to freshen up that team there was a pedestrianness to this performance in places I think that might go some way flow to explaining it yeah, I think I think there is, and I I think Alicia nailed it. To be honest, I think it is just a sign of the times. I think it is a time where a lot of these players need to kind of hand over the baton and their experience, their winners, and obviously that counts for a lot. But the facts are that a lot of the players on the pitch are either not fully fit or coming off the back of not really playing a lot of games in their domestic seasons, and I, I just think that doesn't bode well to just expect people to be able to turn it on. I guess maybe more of the confusion is is that leading up to this tournament um, in some of the friendlies, especially the ones against tougher opposition maybe at times, I think USA have struggled, but in some of those easier friendlies that they played, you know, players like Kristen Press have been absolutely on fire and then it feels like she gets on a flight to Japan and it just kind of evaporates. Do you think so- the WSL has ruined them? Yeah. I don't think so. I, I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put it that. I mean, obviously, the the Manchester United pitch literally did ruin Tobin Heath. But I think there 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 are kind of a number of factors. Obviously, they've got a new coach, and it was interesting to see Susie Rack's quote. Um, obviously, she's out in Japan, and she was in Kashima today. So I think she obviously got to watch both the. USA Australia game and the and the Team GB Canada game, and she she said after the press conference thoughts on the USA Oz press conferences. Adonofsky sounded delusional. Dare I say it, Neville esque. There's no way that was the game plan, and the the US looked disjointed. So I think. The pressure's obviously on for this team. You can sense that, I think, in the whole group. I mean, the, the, the Eurosport coverage, we saw that clip of Alex Morgan kind of shaking her head, being like, what mm. is this? Because the players themselves can't believe it. And maybe the, the preparation hasn't been as, as good as they'd hoped. But I just still think, you know, Alex Morgan played half a season with Spurs, scored mainly penalties, um, and then has scored a few for Orlando Pride since coming back. But she's not a strong enough striker. I mean, I think Lynn Williams should be starting, and we saw some of her today. She didn't make a huge impact, but she's actually coming off a really good domestic period. So I think she should be starting. I think there's too much reliance on experience, old heads, and I think there just needs to be a refresh and a shake-up. I also, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced they truly believe in Andonovsky and his ability and his tactics and stuff like that. You have to remember this team, this is a team of winners. This is a team of big personalities, big confidence players, big egos as well. And if you don't start, especially in a major tournament, if, there, if things aren't going right with decision, I mean, even, you know, maybe tactical decisions and who starts and who doesn't, I don't think he's got it right personally and and that's a very difficult team to not get things right in okay well for balance because we have had Steph Yang as well talking all things USA we've got you on Alicia we've got to shift the focus to Australia here because they did come away with a point from this it means as well that they've progressed and Steph Catley for me I love her delivery. I don't think there was one poor delivery in this game. She asks a lot of questions. And if you're a striker, if you're someone like Sam Kerr, and you know that you've got those balls coming in from from a Catley on a corner or from a set piece, you're doing all your might to to try and get on the end of those because she puts them on a two-pence. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see. The thing with Steph is keeping her fit and healthy on the pitch. She went down a couple of times because there were a fair few heavy challenges in that game as well. There was like some heavy, heavy challenges. And I always just cringe whenever I see Steph go down because she has struggled with injury. If we can keep her on the pitch fit and healthy, we're, we're doing well. But um, you're right, you know, it's great to see her after coming off such a long-term injury as well, um, getting back to her best because she is a crucial player for us, you know, as is Ellie Carpenter on the other side. Sometimes Ellie's delivery isn't as consistent as Steph's, which is probably a criticism, but the work rate that she does down there is exceptional. And it'll be interesting to see what, what Tony Gustafsson decides on the team. You know, again, similar to what you were saying about GB flowing with Hagarisa. He's made some changes, hasn't he? I'm always kind of second-guessing, trying to work out, hmm, okay, this is interesting. Where's he going to now? Chloe Legazzo just pops back up as well playing today. I don't think she had a particularly great game, but also it was, you know, the first extensive minutes that she's had in a huge game, so I'm not surprised. So, um, yeah, it's a constant guessing game with the Matildas at the moment. It is a guessing game, and we we spoke last time, and you had a few question marks about defensively whether they they were up for a test like USA and Sweden. Where are you at now with it? Well, we weren't up to being defensively sound against Sweden. We conceded four goals. We we're in such a strong position that that Rolfo goal, Rolfo goal, where she was able to just run into space. I mean, it was an incredible strike, but that's not good enough defensively. It's just not, and I think. You know, the the measure of any team is having a really solid defence and I still think we can be susceptible and I still think playing in a three, we're still learning that system. We really are. The opposition teams will see weaknesses in that and I would have to agree with them. But that that's why it's so crucial. It's not like we're not creating heaps of chances. I mean, we're creating some chances, but we need to protect our defence by actually converting those chances. Okay, well, the USA, they'll go on now to face the Netherlands. I think that might be the match that we will all be wanting to watch on Friday. That's at midday. We'll talk about it a little bit more in depth later on. It's the last quarterfinal to kick off on Friday. Uh, Before that, though, let's get into Sweden, New Zealand. Wholesale changes for Sweden as they asserted their place at the top of Group G with a 2-0 win over New Zealand. The only side to win three out of three in the group stages. We've already talked about how good they've looked. And there were so many changes for this one, Flo. Eight changes in all, a new bat line. I just feel sorry. I just feel sorry for New Zealand because I think the 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 rhetoric around them this this whole tournament has been like sort of a, a yay for them, well done for turning up um, sort of sort of narrative. And it was always going to be a really tough challenge, but I just think the fact that Sweden could do that and I just Hannah Benison today, only eighteen years old, um, she's just been so so good. I think she only made her debut a few years ago. She's got maybe 10 caps or so for Sweden. And I saw a brilliant t- a tweet from Amy Ruskai talking about how, how well she's played in this tournament so far. She's had 90 minutes, 52 touches, a 31 out of 38 passes completed, an assist that she got today, two interceptions, created two chances. So I think it's great to see the depth in Sweden's team. And it's absolutely terrifying, I think, for, for anyone that's going to going to face them soon which I think would be Team GB if Team GB were to win in the quarterfinal against Australia so um, yeah I think Sweden just looks so confident and um, unstoppable really. So it was a bit of a shame though Erin Naylor didn't have a particularly great game in goal though did she for New Zealand and I think when you're coming up against the likes the strength of Sweden you've got to go oh I mean it (laughs) That they scored the two goals were okay, but I think she was at fault for both of them, which always the first goal, especially when it was a classic kind of no man's land. You're coming out to clear the ball and you get nowhere near it, and then it's just a really simple finish. And it's a shame as well because she's on the market, having just come out of a contract at Reading. So this is obviously a perfect opportunity to put herself in the shop window and maybe get a new contract somewhere. But yeah, she didn't cover herself in glory today. And I mean, Elisha, you know far more about football in that in that part of the world but it's obviously going to be really difficult for a nation like New Zealand to ever kind of compete especially when you've been chucked in an absolute group of death like they have yeah absolutely and look talking to Tommy my old Matilda's coach Tom Samani um, the New Zealand coach he's been petitioning to try and get the Kiwi players into the W League and not as international so more of them to, or to get new or to get Kiwi teams involved in the W League and that I think as a region, even though we're in different confederations, we're in Asia, they're in Oceania, 
I think for the greater good of the game, it's really important that that has to happen. It really does. For the development of the game, it's too difficult for these players to continue on in a local league or even to try and come over to Australia and then take up international spots. They'll just their other players will be chosen over them for the W League, other international players and and I hope I know Tommy's stepping down after the Olympics, which is a real shame, but I I think that's kind of part of it because of the frustrations that he's trying so hard to to improve things, but he's just not getting anywhere and and sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up in defeat and say, Okay, I've done all I can. Olivia Skoog was all over the pitch in this one and producer Abby's now been sent down a rabbit hole courtesy of She Kicks Jen O'Neill. I saw this tweet um, and I, I could tell it was right up Abby's street. Uh, it turns out that the Skoog family are quite musical, a bit like the Von Trapps. Uh, take a, a listen to this tune Olivia's sister's release for the Euro 2013 tournament. Uh, it sounds very Eurovision-esque, I thought. Um, Olivia was involved in another song for London 2012. Um, thankfully, Abby hasn't dug that one out as well. But yes, in short, the Skoogs are very supportive of the Swedish team. Uh, Sweden against Japan, that's on Friday at 11am, uh, hopefully with some of those vibes. Uh, that just leaves us with Group F to get through. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is the Offside Rule Olympics edition with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. And weer een doelpunt, weer minima. And it's the Netherlands who are through as Group F winners after they comfortably beat China by just the eight goals to two. Martins, Bierenstein and Miedemar all scoring a brace with van der Sanden and Pelova also grabbing a goal each. So overall, the Netherlands have laid down a marker with these performances. And I, I feel like they now go in to this next uh, part of the competition, the quarterfinals, as, as one of the favourites now. Would you agree, Alicia? Yes, Absolutely. But it's a replay of the World Cup final, isn't it? Um, but the Netherlands, I think, have matured a lot in that time since that. I think they've learnt a lot. And tell you what, you know, we, we can't take away. They are scoring goals for fun. And also, Berenstein, I thought, scored a couple of exceptional goals today. And then you can just bring on, you know, our good friend Viv Miedema. And then she can just <laughs> a couple in. I thought Lika Martins, after not having, you know, she's done okay over the last couple of seasons, but I thought she played exceptionally well today. She was really, really dangerous and she was crucial to the Netherlands. But, um, what a quarter final to look forward to. I mean, this is a huge game, isn't it? A huge, huge. game. The huge. form team of the tournament against the most successful team in women's football who aren't in form. It is going to be an absolute cracker. And a team that's in form that's also got an individual in form. You talk about Viv Miedemar. Uh, Flo, that was the, the the first goal for her. That broke Christine Sinclair's record for the most goals in a single Olympic women's tournament. She's really announced herself in Tokyo, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think we we obviously all had really high expectations of her because we know what she can do in the WSL and, and she's made a name for herself. But I think it's just brilliant to be able to see her literally um, scoring for fun. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup because even though Holland have obviously bagged a ton of goals they have shown a lot of defensive frailties and I know that we you know we spoke to Anne-Marie um, and she said that that as a kind of media and, and fans there were some concerns about that and whether it's the relationship between between the goalkeeper and and the defense or whether it's kind of defensive nerves or you know this is something that they haven't necessarily had to worry about before they've already always been quite an organized team but I think to concede as many goals as they have against fairly weak opposition I think is a concern I think at times when I watched the game today that the, the the last bit that I saw I think China had a lot of good chances and, and probably could have scored more than just two so it's going to be interesting if if 
USA can almost finally get up and running in some ways. Obviously, they had that big result against the Union, but against a big a big side, because I think Holland are going to give them opportunities that, that maybe they haven't found in other games. Does that matter too game. much, though? Does it matter too much? Because your overwhelming sense in this situation is that the Netherlands will score more. So yes, they might have question marks over their defence sometimes. But, you know, I, I mean, looking at Christine Sinclair, who must be looking over her shoulder at Viv Miedemar, who's broken every record going in the past. Her, she's got the most Olympic goal. She's got 14. Miedemar now is on eight after three matches and could catch her at these Tokyo Games. It's quite feasible. I mean, scoring goals hasn't been a problem, Alicia. No, it hasn't. And I agree with Flo. Like, and um, I want to go back and actually look at when, at the times where they've conceded, like that first goal um, they conceded to China, they just couldn't clear their lines, could they? It was like half-hearted, but they looked in control. So again, maybe it's kind of that little bit of um, lack of concentration or lack of thinking that they're in control of the game. They're quite comfortable and they've scored a few goals and they're going to have opportunities and they just switch off. And they they need to switch on. And I, I would think, as players with that level of maturity and their experience, that they should be. A, you need to be switched on against Alex Morgan and Kristen Press and any of the other US players that if Pino's playing as well, you need to stay switched on. But yeah, I agree. There has been frailties. I just wonder whether it's just because of they've like lacked a little bit of concentration because of the opposition that they've come up against. But um, we'll soon find out, won't we? We, we will. We will. I mean, from a mentality point of view, you, you've already mentioned the egos in the USA side. Are they going to be more up for this one because it's testing themselves against one of the best? Yep, absolutely. This is the thing that always is quite scary about the US. They can get into your head. They get into your head because you know they hate losing and they all, and they didn't lose today, but they would have seen that draw with Australia as a loss. And whenever the USA have a loss or a bad result, it's quite scary sometimes the way they bounce back from that. That would be the biggest concern and that would definitely be in the back of the Netherlands' mind, despite the fact that they're playing good football. But the USA, they get into your head no matter what. And it's how you actually deal with that on the day because they are this larger-than-life team and rightfully so because they deserve that. And, you know, they, they deserve to be respected as well. And they use that in their favour when they can to then boss you around. So um, it'll be interesting to see because we talk about the USA with their mentality. They still come off a result like that. They'll be really annoyed but just going, right, well, that's fine. We got through. We're going to beat the Netherlands now. Right, on to the next job. Before we go on to the final game, very quickly from both of you, who is your favourite now for the gold medal? I mean, I predicted Sweden, I think, for gold and I'm going to still stick with Sweden for gold. I'm going to have to agree with you there, Flo. I think just based on performance and based on the depth of their squad and the way that they have conducted themselves in the games, I think Sweden are definitely the team in form to get a gold medal. Right. Well, um, I'm going to make that a hat-trick of Sweden suggestions. We'll see whether we're right by the end of the tournament. And finally, to the game that lasted 110 minutes. Brazil beating 10-player Zambia 1-0. Uh, and joining us to discuss this is Brazilian football expert Tim Stillman. I'll start with the length of the match, Tim, because it was like none of the others today. Yeah, it was interminable. It felt a, like a lot more than 110 minutes as well when you were watching it. It's... Um, it wasn't the most fascinating game, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but because of what happened in the first half, I think both teams were quite happy with 1-0 early on. And it was one of those games I kept looking at the clock and going, oh, God, is it only 70 minutes? <laughs> and um, yeah, it, it honestly, it felt like it went on forever and not just because of the uh, the long injury time, particularly in the first half. And then it kept going on and on. Um, yeah. I think many people who just glance at this scoreline later on and didn't watch the match and see that Brazil beat Zambia 1-0 and potentially see the red card on the graphic as well for Zambia, which actually came very early on, might be thinking that Brazil would have had a better scoreline than just mm -hmm. the, the goal to nil against 10 players. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly, I had a conversation with a friend of mine before this game because... Um, he wanted to bet on the size of the Brazil victory. And he was saying, oh, the odds look quite good for a four or five goal Brazil victory. And I, I said, don't bother. Because essentially, first of all, I think Brazil made some changes 
and it wasn't the most fluid team. But secondly, I don't think they wanted to finish first. I don't think they wanted to risk catching Netherlands in terms of goal difference, which, I mean, they wouldn't have anyway, given the size of the Netherlands score. But I think they were quite keen to avoid the USA in the quarterfinal. And I think they're probably a lot happier drawing Canada, an opponent they know very, very well. So I I really had a feeling even before the game that this would be one. I didn't think it would be 1-0, but I thought that Brazil might get to 2 or 3-0 and just stop. I think because of the red card, they kind of got to 1-0 and stopped and both teams were quite happy with that. So ultimate tactics at play. We knew it would happen on the the final round of of group matches. It feels like maybe it was Brazil who executed that the most. Um, Talking about that red card very early on, did you feel it was a fair decision? It did look like it was the last player, so the red card was warranted. But there have been some murmurings on social media that, that it might have been a bit harsh. I thought it was a little bit harsh. And I'm trying to put aside the fact that, um, you know, not like patronising Zambia as the, as the big underdog in this. I did think it was a little bit harsh. First of all, I mean, first of all, I think it was kind of an accident, albeit when you come in from behind like that. I mean, she stayed on her feet. But when you do come in from behind like that, you kind of know you've got a chance of bringing the player down. But I think because the Zambia goalkeeper got there, I'm not sure it was a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And in fact, the Zambia goalkeeper got injured getting to the ball. And I'm not sure how much the challenge really changed the extent to which, you know, changed how that situation unfolded. I I did think it was a little bit harsh, but at the same time, I I couldn't I couldn't blame the referee for it. I think by the by the rules it it probably was a red, but it took them a long time to figure it out on VAR. It did take a long time. I was going to ask you, actually, because I wasn't watching at this particular moment. This is something that I've had to catch up with on replay. But the 10 minutes of of VAR, was that for the decision making or a lot of it for injury? Uh, Most of it was for the injury. So the Zambian goalkeeper was down for the entire time. It did take a long time to sort it out by VAR as well. And there was a lot of confusion. I think they were, first of all, they were checking whether it was a red card. And they're also checking whether it was inside the area. And that was another one where it it was kind of on the line. It was maybe just before the line. Um, So I think they had to look at the two things and nobody knew what seemed to know whether it was a penalty or not. Um, I was watching on the kind of the British transmission. They didn't seem to know. All the Brazilians I follow didn't know. But of course, I, I think it took about six minutes to sort out. But the Zambian goalkeeper was down for 14 minutes. So there was this real lull in the mm. game and and by after about 10 11 minutes i think everyone had kind of forgotten what had happened um and it wasn't that is apparent tough on players i i <laughs> yeah. i, I just cuz obviously there's an injury and and that, that actually is really serious but you do feel like for for the players having to get back to that when you say about forgetting what happened it's as if they like even forget what the score is by then because so long has passed um, yeah exactly and, and and actually brazil scored direct from the free kick anyway andressa and that's the only goal of the game and and i think for the actual game and for the spectacle, that was the worst thing that could have happened because I think at that stage, long injury, 1-0, red card, the game was called at that point. Given what you've said, Tim, about the tactics, is this going to be a very different Brazil side to face Canada next? Much more attacking, um, probably a stark contrast of what we saw today. I think that this is actually going to be quite an attritional game against Canada. The reason I think that is I think Brazil and Canada are are very similar in terms of their level. They're quite similar teams, even down to the fact that, you know, they've both got a fairly ageing star player in Christine Sinclair and Marta. But the thing is, Brazil and Canada have played each other five times in the last two years. So they know each other very, very well. And actually, Brazil haven't lost any of those games. I think three of them were draws uh, and one of them might have gone to penalties. But it's these these opponents, they know each other very well. They've played each other a lot recently. I I fancy that this will be quite a tight attritional game. I wouldn't be surprised if it went all the way to penalties, just because I think there's a real chance of these teams cancelling each other out. Um mm. but the the way Brazil play anyway, they play a four four two. They're quite open in midfield. They haven't got the best defence. Um, they've got quite an ageing defence as well. So th- there is potential for goals in this game, certainly with some of the players that are playing as well. But I think it's going to be really... I-, I think this is a real coin flip game. 
Brazilian football expert Tim Stillman there sharing all his thoughts um, on the Brazil team going forward. But um, just before we leave them, Flo, Alicia, I want to talk about Zambia because they can hold their heads really high after this tournament. And I don't want that to sound patronising at all, but I don't think there were there were many expectations and they did brilliantly, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Barbara Banda. I mean, what a story, you know, playing in China at the moment, scoring goals at an Olympic Games. It'll be really interesting to see whether she stays in that region or whether someone tries to pick her up someone else. But she really impressed. Yeah, first first major tournament for this team. So to see them push at times some of the best teams in the world to their limits and, and, and score goals between past some of the the best defences as well in terms of at one point for, for Holland I think yeah really brilliant we have had some tournaments in the past where there have been teams that have taken an absolute drubbing round after round. Now, we've had some high score lines. I'm not going to deny that. But China and Zambia, they've both had their moments in this competition. Yeah, they have. I think China have been on this constant rebuilding, haven't they? China used to be such a powerhouse in women's football and went downhill. You can definitely see that that is improving with the depth, but they've still got a long way to go. And I, I just think you know, the physicality is is still a little bit far away from them. For Zambia, like Flo said, I mean, this is what we want to see in women's football. We want to see the development of the game throughout the whole world and having a surprise package like Zambia, as Flo said, to hold their own and score goals against some of the best goalkeepers and, and really create problems, it's only got to be seen as a positive for the development of our game. Absolutely, Alicia. And we'll recap the quarterfinals for everyone. So Brazil against Canada is at 9am. Great Britain against Australia at 10. Uh, We've got Sweden against Japan, 11am. And Netherlands versus USA at midday. All UK times this Friday for the quarterfinals. Um, I would do a sweepstake update, but I already know that Abby, the producer, has Sweden and the Netherlands. So we'll skip over that part. Um, On to the knockout stage as we go. Thank you very much to Flo, Alicia, Tim and Steph. Flo, Alicia, thank you for that thanks so much come on Australia come on please you can get more Olympic content over on The Athletic don't think we'll give her the last word head over to theathletic.com forward slash offside to get access for just £3.33 a month that's a third off and you can hear this podcast ad free so go for it and over on offsideworldpodcast.com we've also got plenty of stories there too most of them focused on Team GB until next time goodbye You've been listening to the Offside Rule Olympics Edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Offside Rule by going to at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers at theathletic.com forward slash offside. The Offside Rule Olympics Edition is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.